Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, those of you that are watching online to that same end, Romans chapter 15 is where we are at. In just a second or two, we're going to begin reading in verse 14 all the way to the end of the chapter. I'm not sure if you, if you grabbed a bulletin. But if you look on the back, there are the places where you can take notes. And the only reason why I draw your attention to that this morning, the, the title of the sermon is Christ-Centered Missions. And as I was reading through my sermon this morning, I, I created three other titles. <laughs> Not that they're better, but I just think it'll, it, it will probably help you. One is, look what God's grace did. That's one title. Um, the second is from a song, um, you got the best of my love, and that's God to, to us and God to Paul. And the, the last one is stop listening to yourself. <laughs> and I think that won't make any sense, I think, until we actually get into the text. But that was the final one. That could be a bad one. I'm not sure it could have been that I was listening to myself. <laughs> but uh, we'll figure that out. All right, let's hear God's word beginning in verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I've written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always, excuse me, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia where we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Isn't that a lovely little phrase? (laughs) The full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. 
Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will, I will come to you with joy. All right, let's, let's get right to it. And we're just going to pray. A part of my prayer is from the Psalm, um, <clears throat> Psalm 145. And I'm just going to change the I to a we. We will extol you, our God and King. We will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works, Lord, to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And we will meditate on your wonderful works. Father, as your word is preached, may your grace abound as we meditate on your wonderful works specifically in the life of Paul, but, but in other places as well, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So when you come to a text like this, one of the reasons why I'm absolutely convinced that this is the Word of God is because of passages just like this. Two reasons. One, all the other holy books which are out there, and I checked a few this, this week, they don't give you this kind of reporting. For example, the places Paul went to and the mission that Paul was given, that he gave himself to, that we read of here, all of it in some level is verifiable. This means you can go back and chuck the public record and compare it to what we have here. You can go to library, you can go to university, you can go on the World Wide Web. You go to them to, if you would, check out this. For example, we we would say okay, there really was a place called Spain. And and don't take that for granted because there wasn't a Spain until 218 BC. And we know that Macedonia here is now modern day Greece and Ephesus is Turkey and Elycrium is Albania. And we can check history and we can check a map to see if these places exist. Or the famine that Paul alluded to at the end there of chapter 15 in Jerusalem at the time of his writing, that was a real thing. You can check secondary horses to see what Paul's saying was true. And you just don't find that in other holy books. They're just not there. And I say that because when you read or if you hear a passage like this, at first light, it doesn't seem like a kind of a thunder and lightning passage. I mean, if you were preaching topical, my guess is you probably wouldn't do Romans 15. If you did, you'd probably be rare. I mean, if you look at it, you could say, okay, it's part itinerary part appeal, a small part, and it's part verses 14 and 15. Do you see it there if your Bible's open? Hey, hey, you guys are good. You guys are good. And, and I hope you don't think, verse 15, I hope you don't think I was too hard on you, right? So you're good. Are we good, right? But we need to remember that God speaks through all the, the scripture and much of the scripture. And look at verse 15. It's reminding us of things we know, but we need to remember again. Now, just think with me just for a second. Let's say you're old the West Cohasset, and you hear some things repeated, and you're in your mind going, oh, hey, there's some people new to West Cohasset, and this might be the first time they've ever heard it. So, so that's one of the reasons why we need to be reminded, and they need to be taught. And of course, this is God's word, and this is what he wanted us to know for good reason, and the church has always recognized that from the very beginning. 
Okay, so that's the first reason I am convinced that the Bible is the actual word of God when I read passages like these. The second reason is you read Paul's words here, and if you throw your mind fully into it, if you would think it all through, let your imagination you know, take you away to the places that he is taking us to and the kind of things that he's writing about. I mean, he's amazingly clear about what his task was and where his territory was. That's just one point, right? So typically in the Christian life, it's like, I don't know, I don't know. What are we, we going to do? Paul's like, I know what I'm going to do. And you want to say to yourself, who is this guy? At the time of this writing, he's around 60 years old, give or take a couple of years. The average lifespan at that time was 35 years old. He's on, he's on the clock. And then you read, okay, why does he love Jesus so much? And in turn, by loving Jesus so much, why does he love people so much? I mean, a person read this, knowing Paul called himself, he, he called himself the worst of all sinners, and he called himself the least of the least of all saints, that's Ephesians 3. And you hear that, maybe you would be inspired to say, okay, I got vices, and the reason why I'm not doing the gospel thing, I'm not out there going, is because of all those vices that tie me down. I mean, I, I can't even, if you would, walk over the belly of my own flesh. And here's a man who admittedly says, I'm the worst and I'm the least, but I'm out there doing the work. It's not going to hold me back from the work. I don't have to be perfect to be in service, right? I don't have to be perfect to be in service. I think I've told you this before, but when I was in school, I remember guys would drop like flies and you would say, why are you dropping like flies? And they were like, I can't live this kind of life and go do that. And I'm like, it scared the dickens out of me. <laughs> Good thing Paul said that. You don't have to be perfect to be in service. Grace gets you into heaven and grace keep, keeps you and kept Paul at the work. And ask yourself, why is Paul so concerned about race relations here? I mean, the Jewish and Gentile people living together in harmony. Why? And there's more. You, you read this. And you don't find any struggle in Paul with God. I mean, what is God's will here? Or, uh, or should I do that? Or should I go there? I don't know. It's just, I'm going there, and I'm going there, and I'm going here. Not any kind of talk of sort of like that unidentifiable nudge deep within that makes him do stuff. He's just laying it out. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. And so you read the New Testament and you find in Paul's post-conversion life, as it comes to him and the massive amount of difficulties embedded in authentic gospel ministry because it's rich with difficulties, you, you read this and surely there is a rhythm to his life. A rhythm to his life that is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. He is preoccupied with one person. He, did you not read that? That was the pause. I was like overwhelmed. His message, one person. Get the name out there. Get the name out there. Get the message out there. Now, I want you to think on that because this is why we think and think and think when we read the text. There were a, mil there were a million and one things wrong with the world Paul lived in. There were crazy laws, cultural customs, norms, behaviors that were unacceptable but accepted in that society and accepted in that social group. You read the New Testament, Paul barely addresses them. It's not like now. 
Paul barely addresses them. He mostly talks to who? He talks to the home team about home team behavior. Hey, guys, this is how you should be, Romans 12 and 13 and 14. Hey, guys, we're not going to talk about all the other stuff that's going out there. We're going to talk about us. We're going to talk about us. So unlike today. Again, you have to ask yourself, if you're thinking about this, and then you're thinking about this, and you're just thinking, who is this guy? So every Christian knows that we're called. It's a privilege to carry our cross and follow Jesus Christ, right? But I suspect every Christian has asked themselves, okay, what does that exactly mean? Well, this is what I can tell you. In the ancient world, a person who would carry a cross was a condemned criminal. Condemned criminals going out to execution, just like our Lord himself, who who was made to carry the cross on which he was going to be crucified. So to carry your cross at least means you accept for yourself the position of such a person in the sense of this, whatever future expectation you have about time and society, it's okay, you can let it go. You can let it go. You can let go of it and you you begin to learn. And I think this is one of Paul's graces that God gave him. You just take life as a matter of course as you follow Christ. I mean, losing life becomes familiar to you. Pain, the pain of gospel work becomes familiar to it. And, and if people around you give you a cold shoulder, if, if they view you with contempt like Paul and condemnation like Paul and inadequacy like Paul, you know, you're not much, you're a little foolish, you, you just you shouldn't be surprised by this. You are being treated in exactly the same way that Jesus, the cross carrier, was treated. Because of the gospel. Not because of secondary issues and not because of personal opinions, but because of the gospel. And you begin to learn what the Roman church learned and and the Corinthian church would need to learn. You don't always have to stand up for your rights. I mean, you, you barely see Paul doing this. A few times, yes, but barely. And so you're not so concerned about to get your own back, if you would. You're not so troubled in heart by ill treatment and and personal slights. Though, if you're sensitive, they're going to hurt. But it doesn't cripple you. Rather, you simply commit your cause to God, your Father. and, And this is the hymn that I put in my new black book, which is a blue book. So I'm starting a new one. It's the first line. It says, be still, my Lord, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to God to order and provide, right? That's a great. Leave to God to order and provide. It's let go. Not such a tight grip on things. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. So God will vindicate you if he sees fit and when he sees fit. So your attitude to other people, people good or bad, uh, mean, nasty, Christian, unbeliever, uh, your attitude, that's Romans 12, you're the good Samaritan, right? The good Samaritan to the, the Jewish person in the gutter. Take on their pain. In varying degrees, you take it on. They are your neighbors whom, whom you can't love enough. Didn't we learn that in Romans 12? You can't love the outstanding debt to love. So you open your eyes, and and I think this is one of Paul's secrets, we'll say. 
You, uh, you open your eyes and you're honest about their needs and your need. Relational need, material need, uh, spiritual needs. So to carry your cross means your heart, your heart must be ready to care for those needy souls when you find them. And to carry your cross means, this is important, you become more alert to plan out in your life the best way to help them. Isn't that, Paul? You're more alert to plan out your life for the best way to help them, others. And you, and you are no longer good at passing the buck, right? In fact, you need to be the kind of person, the kind of Christian that says, in terms of people's spiritual needs, the buck stops with me. And the me is you, and the me is me. And I see that in Paul. I mean, when I read these verses, it strikes the heart. It strikes the heart in a different way. (laughs) So you see, when I read the Bible, it's so rational to me. It makes so much sense. Logical. Logical. All right. So with all that said, let's look at the very first point of our our sermon is grace given. Isn't that what he says? So the context is there's a problem. The Jewish and Gentile Christians are needing some help getting along. They, they don't exactly understand how the two cultures that they're so vested in can come together and be in the body of Christ. Old covenant, new covenant stuff. Israel and the church, faith and works. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter and says, we're, we're going to work on that. And then he says in verse 15, he writes that beautiful word. And it dominates the letter. Grace, I, verse 15, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you, right? To remind you, to remind them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Okay, so that means everything about everything that I'm going to say, the foundation is grace. That's how Paul understood himself. Grace. So this is not like a motivational talk. I mean, you might be motivated. This is not motivational talk for missions. This is just interpreting, (laughs) proclamating. So he speaks of the grace of God, which divinely, dramatically was bestowed on Paul in his ministry to proclaim the gospel and to fuel him to the end. So think with me. He was not self-called. He didn't write and preach to express his own beliefs, his own wisdom, to fulfill his own desires. He's purposely writing, if you would, against himself. It's like all the attention over there, not here, over there. He wrote, preached, taught, and served by the grace of God. And that's what he says here in Romans 15. But he also says the same thing in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. So at the beginning of the letter and the end of the letter... He says at the beginning, he received grace to do what he was doing. Grace in the beginning. Grace at the end. Wonderful bookends of life. Hey, Paul, how did it all start? Grace. How how is it all continuing, Paul? Grace. How is it going to end? Well, it's going to end well. Why? Because of the grace of God given to me. Don't, Don't let the simplicity of that bother you at all. It'll bother your flesh. I promise you that. 
But don't let it bother you. So grace sets the stage for all of Paul's ministry so that whatever good comes out of it, whatever effect it has, it all begins with grace. I don't know if you noticed it, but the first song I think we sang, grace. So he didn't earn it. He didn't master plan this thing into existence before he was a Christian. You know, it wasn't like God was looking at Paul. He was like, he is really working hard. Would you just look at him go, you know what? Let's put him on the team. He earned it. None of that. He deserved nothing. He was very clear about that. Through the course of his ministry, he called himself nothing in a million different ways outside of Christ. And of course, what is true of Paul is true of us if we are in Christ. Not only in our salvation, but in the daily maintenance of our life. Please tell me we need grace. Don't talk yourself out of that. And all the peculiar callings that we have and all of the similar callings that we have as a church, as Christians, grace. That is our foundation, grace given. If it's not, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. Number one, grace given. Number two, ministry given. Uh, Verse 14, he says that you're really good people, competent people, more on that later. And then he says, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And then it says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an an offering acceptable God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But you see the phrase there, he gave me. First then, Paul recognizes that everything having to do with his ministry was given to him. In other words, and and think about this along with me. Everything that he needed was supplied. The message was given. It was supplied. The power to preach the message, it was given. It was supplied. The places he should go and the reasons why he should go there, it was given. It was supplied. The mission itself, okay, what to do and how to do it, it was supplied. It was given. He gave me the priestly duty, and you look at your Bible, there it is. So I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's kind of a good book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it's, it's interesting. There's a section in the book where the, the hero, and he's just talking about heroes across all cultures, the heroes are always given the tools that they need to complete the task. So whether it's like Greek mythology or actual reality, the heroes are given all the tools that they need. That's Paul. Everything that he needs to do the work, he was given. And you see the the, the latter part of that verse? The the, the kind of like Old Testament talk, offering acceptable to God. Paul is just doing a masterful job of, of, okay, this is the language of sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice Christ was brought, it had to be acceptable. So when you think of sacrifices, I'm I'm not saying like Paul's sacrifice or your sacrifice. We're not going to go there. The sacrifice had to be unblemished. It had to be perfect. And yet in the Old Testament, there was always the understanding that no human priest themselves could adequately represent the people of God. And so they had to pray that the sacrifice would be made acceptable. Justification be made acceptable. Now, if you're thinking and you remember Romans, there's so much that that verse is loaded. First, the phrase sanctified by the Holy Spirit is is the Christian being acted upon. Now, please forgive me, but it's written in the perfect passive participle. And the only reason why I tell you that is that I I want us to understand 
What Paul says there, this is a past completed act. So you were Christian acted upon, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other ways, this is another way to explain justification. Right? Justification means we were made righteous. So Paul, even as he talks about this, he cannot let go of the gospel. Right? So you read that and, 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 you know, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So it's not me to go, are you sanctified by the Holy Spirit today? No. Not going to do that. You have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's justification. Other places in the Bible might do that. This place does not. Second, when you go back to Romans chapter 3, where we are reminded of Jesus Christ, right? Atonement. Christ satisfied God's wrath by his suffering and death on the cross. So Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus was the one sacrifice who was not only perfect in his sacrifice, but he was perfect in his high priestly role, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, to present that sacrifice. So what Paul is saying is Jesus and Jesus alone makes both the Jew and the Gentile acceptable. Verse 16, you see it there? An offering acceptable to God. And you see, that was the ministry that Paul was given. Paul was given the ministry to tell the world, you can be right with God. You can be made right with God, not by your works, but by the work of another. You can be sanctified, not by your works, but by the works of another. You can be part of the family of God, not by your works, but by the works of another. I mean, you read that in there. Proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ. Three times in there, at least. Fully proclaim the gospel of Christ, verse 19. All right. Grace given, ministry given. The, the third point, glory given. Now, if, if grace was given and the ministry was given, so there's no, like, shadows at all there, verse 17 makes sense. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God, but what I have said and done. Now, as you, again, as you run the line through the text, it makes perfect sense. He commands nothing for himself. He is not the root cause of anything. Therefore, if he commands nothing, he's not the root cause of nothing. How could he give glory to himself? I mean, there's a part of me that says, yeah, well, he suffered a whole lot for the gospel. Can he get a little bit of press? He won't give it to himself here. None at all. But you see, that shows the outworking of grace. Right? So Paul's love, it's not like robot love. This is, oh, Father, are you kidding me? You, you love me when I was against you. This is Paul. Well, this is me too. But he, you, you love me when you, I was against you. I hated you and I hated your people. A lot of people went down because of me. And you, I find out that you died for me and you give me this gift of perpetual righteousness. Are you kidding me? And you give me the grace to do the task that you've given me to do? Who, who does that? God. The God of the Bible the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to glory in ourselves, we all know this, it's a perpetual human problem, right? We want to let other people know something about us. You know, just a little bit of glory, please. It's human. Paul here knows that boasting in himself and the task that he was given by way of God's grace, that's a peril, that's a foolish thing. So look what he says. If I'm going to give glory, verse 18, 
I will not say anything other than what Christ has done through me. Some translations say boasting in what pertains to Christ. Right? So the Gentiles' obedience to God, the the growing Christ-likeness of Christ, the, the gathering of Jew and Gentile, that's all Christ. He accomplished this through me. So, again, think. He's not even comfortable saying, um, <clears throat> I'm a partner with Christ. Doesn't say that. He's basically saying, I'm being acted on. I'm an agent of Christ. I'm an instrument of Christ. The language to me seems purposely really, really tight. Christ works not with him, but through him. He's still doing, I mean, he's still there. But that's the, that's the emphasis that Paul wants us to have. So again, whatever is going to be accomplished, Christ is doing it. Remember J.C. Ryle, after he got off the pulpit and someone gave him a nice compliment and said, that was a wonderful sermon. You remember what he said? He said two things, but one of these things he said is, I'm just a pen. What praises do a pen? That's Paul. Fourth point, plans given. Now, now again, we just have to admire the absolute clarity. There's no wondering and there's no fumbling. Verse 19b, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, now, again, I keep saying this word, but this is what it calls for. Think with me. That's half a verse. In half a verse, Paul writes of 10 years of strenuous life giving, body-beaten, self-emptying labor for the gospel of Christ. Three daring missionaries, mission, journey, excuse me, he writes of in, in half a verse. I mean, that's barely a tweet. 17 words in English, 13 words in Greek. Again, half a verse in your Bible. Do you remember the previous point, glory given? I mean, you have to ask yourself, who does that in the secular world? I mean, people write thick books about a year in their life, a season in their life. You know, like leadership in the trenches. <laughs> uh, they said it couldn't be done, but I did it, and I can show you how. Big, thick books. Paul's like half a verse. Ten years. You see what? See everything away from me, away from me, away from me. So you visualize this in your mind, if if you have like a world map in your mind, or maybe like a map of Asia Minor. You see Paul beginning in Jerusalem. This is Acts. He goes north to Syria, then to Antioch, then further north and west through the province of Asia Minor, across the Aegean Sea, Sea of Macedonia. From there it leads south back to Antioch and back to Achaia, then east across the Aegean Sea again via Ephesus, back to Jerusalem. Okay, scholars tell me, tell us, that's about 10,000 miles and three missionary journeys, mostly on foot. And every place that he would go to, you might as well have given him the keys to the jail, right? These people was like, Now, I know you know the cities like you know you've heard of them, but let's just let me help you a little bit longer here. Macedonia, that's modern-day Greece, part of Bulgaria, southern Bulgaria. Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And by the way, the seven churches in Revelation, those were, all those churches were in Turkey. Uh, right now in Turkey, there's 85 million souls. 
of the 85 million souls, there are only somewhere between 200,000 and 320,000 Christians in Turkey. Elikrium is modern-day Albania. Of the 2.9 million souls in Albania, only about 150,000 are Christians. Just to say the need is great. But in Paul's time, look what he says, verse 23. I've done what I needed to do here. I've already done what I need to do here in this region. Essentially, I am done. (laughs) Think about that. As a missionary, here I'm done. Another amazing statement, right? It doesn't mean he spoke to every person in the region. It doesn't mean he went to every little village, but it means he covered Asia Minor with the gospel. He covered it with the gospel and he planted churches. Churches like this church charged with the task of gospel proclaiming. Do you see the genius of it? It goes in, breaches the gospel, church is established, and the churches are like little mini missionaries. And they send people out and they do stuff. The strategy was so simple. Preach the gospel, see God convert, see churches established, and then do it all over again. But you see the plan given there for Paul. Verse 21, I I want to go to Spain, okay, southern Europe, but I'm going to need your help. Okay, again, half a verse, he's making a fundraising statement. (laughs) I'm going to need your help. I just think that's so beautiful. I say that because things can be so complicated. And this, it's like, no, I, I'm going to need your help. But before I go, right, before I go, I got some things to do. Verse 29 and 30, right? I'm on my way to Jerusalem with a contribution for the Jerusalem church. Because of that, right, there's a big famine. I'm going to go. And then on my way to Spain, I'm going to come back and visit you, verse 29, with bells on. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I don't know what exactly that means, but I bet it's great. I bet it's great. I mean, isn't that nice when, when, when somebody comes over and they say something like that, or at the very least, they bring stuff? It's like, this is the blessing of Christ for you. Whatever, whatever it is, it's good. It's going to be really good. So again, half a verse. I need some help. The rest of it, I'm going to be so good to you when I come. It's going to be great. All right. Almost through. Grace given, ministry given, glory given to God, Christ, plans given. Everything, again, pointing from Paul to Christ, to the message of Christ, to the power of Christ, to the grace of God, the places where the people who need Christ, all, all, all arrows pointing there. Away from himself, everything there. Final point, prayers needed. And this would be the only time he would point the arrow a little bit back to himself. It's like, I need help. Verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, join me in the struggle by praying to God for me. Two key words. Do you see them there? The first word is urge. So in the Greek, it's basically, I'm begging you. I entreat you. It's a word picture. Picture the word. It's, when you, it's two Greek words. You get up close to a person and you say to them, help me. <laughs> help me. Help me. And you see it there, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. The, the modern day equivalent would be something like, for God's sake, please pray for me. That's what he writes. For God's sakes, pray for me. And then... Join me. Struggle there. Do you see the word? Soon agonazamai, which means agonize with me. Strive together. Okay, you're not on the property. You might not be in the country, but on your knees, you can be there with me. 
share this burden with me. Sharing in the contest is, is, is literally what it means. Think about that. That's what makes prayer so amazing. You don't have to be on the mission field to be on the mission field and to agonize and struggle with Paul's ministry. That is a mystery, but it's true. It's the part of the wonder of prayer. I mean, you can develop feelings for the folks out there that are actually doing the work by us on our knees here. And you know, I, I, I googled this question. I'm sorry, I had to Google it, but I was like, how many times did Paul ask the churches for prayer in the New Testament? Eight times. Here, he asked the Corinthian church, Ephesian church, Philippian church, Colossian church, and Philemon. And then he asked the Thessalonican church twice. And this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. This is 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it is with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people because not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I prayed that prayer a ton of times for all of us, for myself. And then you look at Paul's prayer, it's pretty practical, right? It's nothing too amazing. Verse 31, you see it there? Your Bible's open. I want to be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, who, by the way, tried to kill me twice. <laughs> practical. And, and then he takes, talks about the contribution, okay? And, and, and I'm going to bring money for the famine. Pray that they receive it favorably, positively. So that, and you see it there, so when he comes to Rome, he will be happy. Isn't that so human? Right? Isn't that so human? My Lord willing, my wife's going to be coming home today. She's gone way too long. And so, let me tell you what's not going to happen at the house. The house is not going to be messy, and the house is going to smell really nice, and it's going to be super clean. It is clean right now, by the way. So don't ask if you can come over today. <laughs> but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. You can't, but I won't be there. But anyway, the point is, when she comes home, I want her to be happy. Paul's like, I just want to be happy because I'm going to rest with you and I'm going to be refreshed by your company and I don't want all this other stuff on my mind. People want to kill me. Do they like my offering? Do they not like my offering? Just, just pray that everything goes well. Very reasonable. He works so hard. He wants some peace when he's there. And then verse 33, he turns the prayer back to them. May the God of peace be with you all, you Romans. Amen. Uh, so, so to me, it's, it's also overwhelming. The simplicity of it is so overwhelming because we tend to make things so complicated. Paul did not have a safety first attitude here. His, his life was not conventional. It was not static. He, 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 um, he wasn't a drag on the enterprise that Christ was trying to do in him. His sins didn't get in the way, and he was a sinner, right? His sins didn't get away, but he was a sinner. That wasn't an excuse. I can't go because of it. No, he went as the worst of all sinners. He's exuberant. He's uninhibited. He's so deeply honest. He's profoundly humble here. He's passionate, and he's clear on one thing. Everywhere I go, I take Christ with me. 
whether it's his grace or his ministry or his message. Everywhere I go, I take Christ with me. No confusion at all. No complaining. And you look at verse 14. No training. What does he say to the church? I know you guys are competent to instruct one another. In other words, if I'm out there doing it, I bet you, Roman church, you guys are competent to go out there too. So he's living the gospel. He's living in the gospel. He's living for the gospel. Churches are being planted. The world is being turned upside down through Christ working through Paul. So I ask myself, this is me. Why so nervous sometimes? Why, why no risk taking? Why, 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 uh, why so little of, of what Paul is here? Am I not free enough? Am I free enough from fear and anxiety? To go, to go full stretch for the cross and for Jesus? Didn't I receive grace? Maybe you're asking yourself the same question. And, and boy, this makes missions look hard and easy. The easy part is what to do and what to say and whose power. The hard part is the suffering that we endure, cross-carrying Christians, in that. That's the hard part. So I ask myself, are we not persuaded by the adequacy of God? I mean, are we ashamed of the gospel? I don't think we are. Do we not believe that the same power that helped Paul will be the same power to help us? You know, are we afraid that we'll just collapse on the battlefield? Good. Because when we collapse on the battlefield, that's we can say, I'm weak. And Jesus Christ, I need your power to help me. Right? Christ's power made perfect in weakness, i.e. when we collapse on the battlefield. Do you think he'll let us down? I, no, he won't. Maybe like halfway through the venture, he'll change his mind. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so we ask ourselves, did Paul hold back from, from risk or a risky, risky, costly course? No, he did not. And, and what is the only answer that we can give each other? It's grace. The grace of God. And grace says that your God is faithful to you. Your God is adequate for you. He's not going to leave you high and dry. You'll never need more than he will supply. And what he supplies, now listen to me, both materially but also spiritually and practically and relationally because we all need each other will always be enough for whatever the present need is. And, and nothing, literally nothing that could have reduced the power of God to finish the task. We will never know that. Because God will complete, complete and finish the task in us. Just like he did in Paul. Verse 11 of Psalm 84. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. 1 Corinthians 10.13. God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 12.9. His grace is sufficient. I've told you this a few weeks back. In 20 years, just 20 years, Paul got the gospel and established churches to almost all of the Roman Empire on foot. So here's what I want to leave you with. And please tie this tight to your heart and to your mind. The the beautiful, beautiful simplicity of the mission of Paul It wasn't generated by human scheme. It was not dependent on human ability. 
And it was not defeated by human opposition. Grace was its fuel. Prayer was its need. And Christ, Christ was its all. I didn't write this on Friday when I left here, but I wrote it this morning. Congregation, stand back and see the salvation of your God. Let's pray. Father, verses like these, all they do is ignite love and passion and security and the grace of leaning hard on you. Please don't ever let us stop leaning hard on you. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His Church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.